0: If you will, open your Bibles to the book of Acts. We continue our series this morning in the book of Acts. We have made our way uh, in these early sermons to chapter 3. and So if you would open your Bibles to Acts chapter 3, we'll begin in just a moment in verse 1, and we will uh, work our way all the way through the end of the chapter there in verse 26. Again, Acts chapter 3 and verse 1. It is a privilege to once again stand before you. And one of the things that being absent from you provokes in me is the reminder, the acknowledgement of what a great privilege I have to stand before you and to unpack the Word of God. It also helps bring a clarifying and, and very important distinction or distinctive to my heart and to my mind. In that preachers face the danger of falling in love with preaching and loving the act of preaching more than the, they love the one that they preach, namely the Lord Jesus Christ and after talking to countless pastors and preachers over the years it is that which indeed we need to always be on guard of I do love the privilege to prepare and the privilege to stand before you but what is ultimate and what always must be cultivated and what is always under assault in my own heart is the necessity of having the ultimate love for the Savior, whose name I proclaim. And so it is good to be here uh, today. It's good to, to stand before you, and it's good to once again uh, uh, unpack uh, the marvels of the Word of God. Many of you probably, have had a, at least a thought this morning, and those that are, I'm going to say, 30 years old or older, probably if I said, "What were you doing?" Where were you 21 years ago about this time of the morning? And it might take you a second, but then you would go, oh yeah. I remember being in my office. I remember being in my living room. And I remember watching the images of airplanes flying into iconic buildings in New York City and into the Pentagon in Washington dc and i remember being frightened i remember being concerned i remember being grieved by the events of that day maybe like me you had hopes in those moments in those early days that god would perhaps provoke something of a spiritual awakening and a revival in this nation and to be sure uh, the church I was serving at that time, we opened our doors for uh, many nights in a row and people would come and they would pray for uh, our nation and pray for our leadership and pray for our military. All things good to do. But while we still live in the shadow of those events, if you have gotten on an airplane in those, the last 21 years, that which you experience is a direct result of the events that happened on that day, I would submit to you there has been virtually no lasting spiritual awakening nor revival that impacted the people of this nation. They were upset for the moment and they very quickly and tragically got over it and I haven't seen anything in the last 20 years that, think, that makes me think that the United States of America is in any way experiencing anything that resembles a spiritual awakening. Now, that does not mean that I believe that the power of the gospel is diminished, that the Lord Jesus Christ is not ruling and reigning, or, nor that spiritual awakening and revival are not possibilities for our day. I believe that those things are possibilities for our day. But drama, tragedy, spectacle... Are never enough to bring about the things that God would produce among the people among whom he is working to be sure as we dive into this book of Acts we see the dramatic we see the spectacular we see things that are all inspiring and certainly they have a certain type of effect and In many Christian circles, oh, why cannot we return to those days and have those spectacles and do those mighty things that were done in those days? I would suggest to you this, that the gospel is simply not advanced by spectacle. It is not advanced by drama. But just as it was then, 2,000 years ago, and it always will be till the Lord Jesus returns, the gospel is advanced. God's people are transformed from glory into glory by the unpacking, by the proclamation of this word from God that is for us and the very same power that we see so well uh, characterized and narrated for us in this book that same power is present in us and among us today and is still at work and can still do the miracle of bringing dead men to life through the power of the gospel so let's look Uh, once again we think about this powerful gospel the power of of the gospel to heal is going to be demonstrated here, and the power of the gospel to be saved is going to be proclaimed. And so let, let's read this morning. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is, his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Pray with me. Father, once again we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. It has always been truth. It will always be true. And God, we would pray that you would do that which you are faithful to do, that which you have promised to do, that as we proclaim your word, That indeed it would not return void. That you would accomplish that for which you have designed that from all of eternity past. Lord, we ask your blessings on us today. Uh, Lord, there are those here today that may need a measure of your comfort. I pray, God, that you would uh, grant that in increasing measures. And those, Lord, that uh, need uh, conviction, we would also pray that you would uh, grant that, that to them. And Lord, that all of us would... See that we would know uh, the very power of our Lord Jesus Christ, and Lord that we, indeed we would be empowered to go and tell others about what you have done for us, Lord, we ask all of these things in Jesus name. Amen, as we have uh begun uh, this uh, particular uh, series the the sequel to the Gospel of Luke, uh, so we just very uh, very logically chose to go to the uh, second volume that Luke wrote, and if you'll remember, he's interested in giving uh, an orderly, an accurate, a faithful account, uh, beginning with the life of Jesus, and now uh, continuing uh, to uh, display and, and describe uh, the work uh, that Jesus mandated for the apostles and promised power for them to accomplish. Uh, he Luke is going to describe. How that plays out in the life of uh, the early church, and we heard uh, Pastor Drew deal uh, with uh, all of the the details and, and the sermon of the on the day of of Pentecost, and then uh, Pastor Brad gave us uh, uh, that that shorter passage that that he kind of whined about. I think he alluded to that, but he whined about being given the short straw uh, of dealing with uh, uh, his uh, particular assignment, but. When I went back to listen to his sermon this week and went to the North Clay podcast, I'll have you know uh, that I found four sermons I preached from that very same text in 2018 were the first thing that popped up on our podcast. So, uh, just saying. But he did a wonderful job of giving us a description, a snapshot. This is what that that Spirit-filled church looks like. And as much as we have made distinctions along the way that, that we have narrative and, 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 and does it describe that which is normative for the church for all times or is it simply describing the events uh, upon which the, the church was birthed and they were inaugural and they were unique uh, for that time. And, and kind of in the midst of that, that which Brad preached to you, I believe tells us something about that which is to be normative. Uh, for the church, that that we are to be a people that have an, an iron-clad devotion that is unshakable and it is unchanging to that which is a pot, the apostles' teaching. And folks, the apostles' teaching is this right here. This is what we have and this is what we are devoted to. Not my opinions and not my insight, but the Word of God. And we are devoted to living that out together in appropriate biblical fellowship and, 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 and that often in, involves uh, the, the, the breaking of bread in our homes and the gathering for uh, the communion service, the Lord's Supper. And then, if you're paying attention at all, and you should be, those that are filled with the Spirit of God should, as no other moment, including 21 years ago, should be driven to their knees to pray not only by what we see on the horizon in our world, but just what we see among us happening to those that we love that are going through all manner of of crisis in their life. And so that is what we are commanded to do. That's the pattern of the church. That is the way the church grows, and that's the way the church gives testimony to the very power of the gospel. So thank you, Brad, for unpacking that uh, for us. And so we come today, we are post-Pentecost, we're really pre-persecution, and just to kind of give you a little foreshadowing, uh, as we get into chapter 4 next week, the, 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 it's going to turn. Uh, persecution is going to, to, uh, to begin because the gospel is always provocative. The gospel is always provocative. It either provokes repentance, or it provokes rebellion. It always does, and it always has, and it always will. And so, before persecution, and, and really before the, what amounted to the expulsion from the temple, uh, we find these uh, disciples, the, these apostles, these leaders of this uh, uh, embryonic church being faithful uh, to attend uh, the temple and, in, and engage in, in the things that uh, good Jews uh, should have been doing, namely uh, praying, uh, they're, they're doing that uh, there in those first post-Pentecost days. And so we find uh, there in verses 1 through 3 uh, really a, a detailed description, once again illustrating Luke's attention to detail. Uh, that he's very interested in in giving you uh, facts, giving you details, being accurate, even down to what probably suggests his medical training, uh, some things about the malady uh, that had been experienced or was being experienced uh, by the lame man that is soon going to be healed. And so we're told that uh, uh, at the uh, uh, ninth hour, which is essentially 3 p.m. by our reckoning uh, at the regular time for prayer at the time when the priest would be offering the evening sacrifices uh, they go up uh, to uh, the temple they encounter uh, a man who uh, had a a congenital affliction as we would call it, that is from birth. He had never been able to walk. His legs, his feet had never functioned properly. They had never supported uh, his weight. And it seemed to be the regular duties of family or friends to bring him to this particular place uh, in the temple or he would beg for that which might sustain him, as obviously uh, being so incapacitated he was unable uh, to provide uh, for uh, himself. And we're told that this this went on at a place or that's called the Beautiful Gate. And... I think commentators are are pretty sure they know which gate this is uh, referring to. Uh, I think Josephus gives us some information. And this was a huge gate that uh, was probably about 75 feet tall. And I I had to come out here today and start trying to figure out. And I'm I'm saying that the high point of this roof is something less than 40 feet, okay, would be my, my best guess. I'm not sure exactly. These doors were 75 feet tall. They, it took 20 men to open and close these doors. It, it separated uh, the court of the Gentiles from the court of the women. And they were spectacular. They were made of, of, of Corinthian bronze. And they were said to be uh, more splendid than even the gates that were inlaid with gold and silver. And so it's at this place in which many people probably came and, and marveled at the of the spectacle of, of, of these doors and maybe even uh, they made great spectacle of opening and closing them but something more glorious than these doors or they, even the entirety of those temple precincts was about uh, to be unveiled and so he's there uh, to beg he is the picture of one who is unable he has no ability to assist himself and in the providence of God he is at the right place he's at the right time to hear the right message that's going to do the right thing in his life and so he asked of Peter and John and I'm sure he was asking of all that were passing by maybe calling out loudly could you help? could you help? I'm in need I don't know what he said but he caught the attention of these uh, two Disciples, And we see the encounter uh, described beginning there in verse 4 of our text. And both of the apostles looked at him and they demanded uh, that, uh, uh, that he pay attention to them and that he was going to uh, receive. The man expected, okay, this is going to be good. They're, they're going to bless me. They're going to give to, to me. And there in verse 6 we see two really pregnant and very important uh buts. He was expectant, but that's not what Peter is going to give to him. And, and then a second but that reminds us that there is going to be a strong contrast between that which might have been expected and that which is actually going to happen. Namely he is not going to receive a, a gift of money. He's not going to receive silver nor gold because that is not what Peter and John have, but they do have something more precious and folks ultimately More powerful than silver or gold. Probably most of us in this room have either experienced personally or have had a loved one caught in the grips of a physical or a medical crisis in which the doctors and the medical community drive you absolutely insane because they ain't got a clue any more than you do. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. And no amount of money, if you were a billionaire, You can't give to them knowledge and ability that they do not have. Okay? And I want you to understand that the power of the gospel is far more precious and it is far more powerful than anything that money could buy. And so, what Peter says to them, I'm going to give you something and I'm going to give it to you in the authority and power of the name of Jesus as His representative as his agent we're kind of aware of that kind of thing we can think of uh, officers of the law policemen or sheriff and so forth they they represent the the weight of the power and authority of a government and so these men are going forth in jesus name and fully vested with his power and his authority to, to work on his behalf in the in the world jesus has left this world in a physical sense he has sent the Holy Spirit to work among those that are his and he has designated deputized delegated those who follow him beginning with these apostles to go forth in my name and demonstrate that the power of the gospel is both true and it is effective in the lives of those who will believe and so he commands him very simply Get up and walk. He takes him by the hand. And he does. Now, I've often suggested to you, because it's true and I'm right, that the account of Lazarus being raised from the dead is a picture of salvation. And we contribute to our salvation just as much as Lazarus contributed to his being raised from the dead. Okay? We were that cooperative in our salvation and you can say well wait a minute if this is the picture salvation and I think it is well then he was alive and he just needed a little help no his limbs were dead he had no ability to solve his problem it was unilaterally and monogistically resolved by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ just as salvation always is accomplished in the life of those who believe and so he was raised up, and guess what? His feet and his ankles were healed. He was strong. And, and so he is going to leap up and begin to shout about that which he has experienced. Now let me pause here for just a minute. And I, we, I think we've done this in every one of the three previous sermons. But let's say a word about miracles, because I think there's been a lot of damage done in the church, particularly in my lifetime, okay? Okay. Uh, as people have increasingly lost their mind, including the minds that are in the church many times, we have gotten so disoriented about some of this stuff. And so, again, we ask that question. Are there normative? Are miracles normative? Should you expect your pastor to heal your infirmities uh, or any other pastor? or Or are there those special folks floating around in the world that, have this unique power. And I would always remind you, folks, God has not changed. Whatever I would say, about the reality of, of miracles and the power of God, I would emphasize that God has not changed that one iota. That God is the same God who spoke the world into creation, who is sustaining it right now, who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world, who, whose Son died on the cross and was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. He is the powerful God who can do all things. But for whatever reason pleases God, Which, uh, unfortunately for you, and maybe unfortunately for me, he doesn't always feel compelled to explain to us in detail. I haven't seen many parents explain every decision that they make for their children in detail to them. They just say, this is the way it is, and this is the way it's going to be. Parents, you can say amen if you want to. It's okay. Uh, Just to know you're awake. Miracles seem to me, and this is not unique to me, to be primarily clustered in the ministries of Moses, of Elijah and Elisha, Jesus, and the apostles. And so you have very unique, very much set apart uh, times. They don't seem to be the the norm. They do, do not seem to be the universal experience of believers, that you had churches full of uh, miracle workers or anything like that, uh, that they were unique. They had a Particular purpose for a particular time, for a particular uh, people, they, 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 these apostles, and of course, Jesus himself was unique, the prophets were uh, unique, and, and that distinct from what we see going on around us today, uh, the results were immediate, they, they were permanent, they, they were obvious and demonstrable, but they were always secondary to the reality of the gospel and the need for salvation. The primary issue was not ever the infirmity although Jesus and the apostles were merciful to act and they were merciful to heal and that is why for, for 2,000 years the church is often engaged in all types of, of missions of mercy. That is a, a good thing. But folks, no matter whether you get my hometown, clean water, which they're in desperate need of right at this very moment, or whether you go to Africa and drill wells, or whether you take uh, worm medicine uh, to Africa or prenatal vitamins to Africa, let me tell you, all that stuff eventually wears out. The thing that remains is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is what is always uh, primary. And so God gave miracles to illustrate the, the power of that, that message and, and in some way maybe even to identify and designate these unique messengers such as prophets and apostles or even Jesus himself. And I would suggest at least part of the reason that we do not see miracles as normative in the life of the church is we have an inspired and an inerrant message that tells us all about these miracles, that authenticated message and messenger, and we are to rely on that inspired and inerrant message, and we do not need to duplicate the miraculous that is described in that inspired, infallible, inerrant message. Thank you. I was expecting that. Yes. We We don't need that. We have the Word of God that is sufficient to do that which God has ordained be done. And so, whether in proclamation or whether in demonstration, the gospel and its power are always provocative. It's going to provoke one of two things. It's going to provoke repentance. It's going to provoke a rebellion and even a riot at times. And here's the thing as the gospel comes to bear upon the heart and mind of those who would persist in their unbelief they will resort to any measure to get to deny to disqualify the messenger to dismantle uh, to do anything to destroy this message by which they're ultimately indicted and condemned okay they'll do anything and so that's still going on and here's the thing I mentioned. The church has been cursed in the last 50 years with a lot of this hooey, okay? And I'm being really nice today. I could say other things that would describe those things, but I'm just saying hooey, okay? And you can look. You could. Most of you are familiar with Johnny Erickson Tata. She's been in a wheelchair for about 60 years now, been involved in public ministry. And she tried to... To take advantage of these miracle working campaigns and guess what they made sure she never got anywhere in sight you can check out the work of Justin Peters he's a young man that's a pastor and a kind of a theologian and uh, he is afflicted I believe with cerebral palsy and again he made, tried to take advantage of these miracle workers and get them to heal him and buddy they made sure he didn't get anywhere near the stage tragically very good friend of mine Uh, from high school. I saw some things on Facebook, and I've done it too. And, you know, I'm often rebuked, you know, for my sarcasm and my cynicism and all of these things. Okay, But somebody was making fun of Joel Osteen and some little deal, and something I probably would have said and agreed with. And this friend whose husband died of cancer several years back, and this was all within a family as well. These were family members. Interacting on Facebook, but she made the comment. But we were so comforted while we were receiving treatments in Houston to go to Joel Osteen's church and be welcomed and hear his message of encouragement, and da da da. I thought, what a tragedy! A man that needed to hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to hear. You can't even call what this guy and his type preach a distortion. Distortion is something that's got some basis in reality and truth and fact. It just gets blown out of proportion. Uh, He's gone far beyond that. And what a devastating reality to find comfort in one who essentially preaches lies. And ultimately it, it produces False hope, it produces great disappointment, discouragement, and even anger that gets directed at the Orthodox Church many times, Okay, and not back at these practitioners. So it's a disaster from a disease. Enough about that. Verse 8, we begin to see the impact of what had occurred uh, there uh, with this lame man. Again, we're told that he leaps up, and in our, our... Scripture reading, which was from Isaiah 35. Isaiah the prophet anticipated a day in which the power of God was to be so demonstrated that the lame would leap. And I I don't know, I, I suspect maybe Luke is being very intentional in describing how the man responded that that we are to be reminded uh, that that we live in the day that foreshadows the fullest expression of the power of of god and and this man leaped up as a testimony that day had come that the power of gospel was there just as peter could preach hey you remember what joel said right here right now folks Right here, right now. Sons and daughters praying and prophesying. It is here that that because this Jesus was handed over according to God's set purpose and foreknowledge and you wicked men crucified him, the power of God is on display. It's on display right now. And we live in that day. Jesus even, if you'll remember, when he read from the scroll that was unread, he read from Isaiah. And he alluded to these same things. And he said, that day is now fulfilled when john the baptist was discouraged in prison and knew that he was going to lose his head sent a deputy to jesus and said uh, uh, you know this is the guy said behold lamb god that takes away the sin of the world And here he is in prison it's not working out like he thought it should work out and are you the one Or, or should we expect another and jesus said hey these words about me and what would surround me they are fulfilled in me and so we live in a day that foreshadows the day of consummation of the the perfect expression in which the curse is reversed okay now in salvation and we're going to talk more specifically about the work of regeneration in just a, a, a moment but in salvation, in regeneration, the curse of death, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And they did. And we are. Until we are born again. And in that, the curse is reversed. But the curse on my body is not reversed. Okay? You understand? I, I, I am experiencing mortality, and you are as well. In our relationship those curse that curse has not been reversed i know nobody struggles with relationships everybody has a perfect marriage your children are perfect your extended family relationships are perfect your relationships with your they're all perfect because you're no longer subject to the curse correct all god's people said so we live that has not been reversed the curse upon the body has not been reversed the the curse on the the difficulties of just life in the world has not been reversed we look forward to that day but let me tell you while we may not be living in the time where we can speak to the lame or the deaf or the blind and heal them we are living in the day when we can speak the gospel who have a far to those who have a far greater problem than anyone with a physical infirmity and we can say to them in the name of the lord jesus christ you must and you may believe unto salvation. That day is upon us. And so, interesting, verse 9 tells us that the unbelieving people of that day, they saw them and they recognized reality, they recognized truth. And I've I've mentioned this many times. One of the difficulties we face in our time is people look at things, at life, at reality, and they say it's something else. And that is a problem in communicating the gospel in that at least they said, wait a minute, this guy was crippled and now he's walking around his hill. Something great has happened. They could at least affirm and describe reality something that in our day we're losing. And it's a very great danger. And so they were filled with wonder. And evidently, according to what Brad uh, preached to us last week, Acts 2.43, that, that again, there was... Quite a number of occasions when signs and wonders were done by these uh, apostles. And so this all attracted a crowd. And so any time there's a crowd, a good preacher needs to preach, doesn't he? Amen. All right, let's look at the gospel announced. This opportunity that was provided uh, through uh, miraculous healing is taken advantage of uh, by, at least in this case, uh, the Apostle Peter. They, they were overwhelmed with what they had seen, and, and Peter uh, begins to uh, address them. And it's interesting to me, is, as I practice preaching, and think about it, and have been trained to do it, and what we have in the bible in terms of recorded sermons they they most of them seem somewhat uh extemporaneous that is uh the occasion arises and they stand up and speak now now peter would would later write to us to all of us you need to be prepared to give a an apologia a defense a reason an explanation for the hope that is within you, that, that at any on any occasion, in any moment, even without your scrolls, you should be able to stand and give a reasonable and understandable explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is exactly what he does as he calls upon uh, the men of Israel as he addresses them to pay attention uh, to that which he is about to say. And he begins, and here's an interesting thing. I wish I had a a little more time to talk to you about persuasive speech. But he's going to appeal to some things that they agree about. Now, think about political speeches. Typically, they're not so much trying to say, you're wrong and you need to be like me, as much as we're all in this together and I'm really just like you and I'm going to do what you want me to do type speeches. Okay? They're still trying to persuade you, but it's a little different. And so, so they take different forms. But he's beginning with a point of agreement that we affirm, we acknowledge, we even worship this God that revealed himself, first of all, to Moses at the burning bush as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay? And so they, they, they are in agreement. They are, they are with him. Now, he's going to move by necessity to things that they're going to disagree About And he's going to indict them and he's going to attempt to correct them uh, for their error in their understanding of who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ uh, has done. In fact, they would agree that there was going to be, according to Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 53, a servant of the Lord. Okay, they, they, they could, Yes, there is a servant of the Lord who is to come. He is going to appear. He's going to be the one who Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nation. They were anticipating that guy. Look there in verse 13. This God that we agree is the God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He has glorified God. His servant. His servant, Jesus Christ. This servant that you have heard about since you were a child. That servant is the servant of Isaiah 42. He is the servant of Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. And that person is Jesus Christ. The one, and he's going to go back and, you know, he had already gotten on him in Acts 2, didn't he? You know, you murdered him. You murdered him. It was God's plan, but you still murdered him, and you're guilty. And here's the thing. Pilate had wanted to let him go, and you're so contemptible that you determined that you would condemn the righteous one and set free the guilty one. You have just totally perverted truth and justice and reality. And so again, you are guilty. And that person that you condemned, that you are guilty of. He is the servant that was promised. He is the suffering servant. And God has vindicated and he has validated him because not only has he raised him from the dead, he's ascended to the right hand of the Father to rule and to reign. Jesus Christ, this one whom you crucified, indeed, he is the one that you have been anticipating, but you missed him. And to all of those things, they make this claim, we are witnesses. We saw it. We heard it. And we cannot not talk about it. I know that was a double negative. We have to talk about it. We must, we are compelled. It is a fire within our bones that we talk about the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were experiencing exactly what Jesus in His last days had told them they would, that He was going to send one who would comfort, He would inform, He would illuminate, He would empower them to do exactly the same things He had been doing, namely proclaim the gospel. And they did it. And so they announced this gospel. Look there in verse 16, if you will. You killed him. God raised him. We're witnesses. Verse 16. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong. I would suggest to you, that's the apostles' faith. Okay? That, that they believed, they were empowered, and they, in Jesus' name, uh, saw this man healed, and they gave to him perfect help. Through faith. Now, let me let me again kind of pause here because I want to say something I think is very, very important. This is one of those texts that you see four crucial terms. That if we're going to talk about salvation, if we're going to talk about the gospel, if we're going to talk about evangelism, we absolutely must use these words and define these words. Probably anybody that in any sense is Christian and wants to, you know, talk about Jesus. They want what is reflected in these four words to occur. But if you do not use these words properly, and if you do not emphasize them adequately, you will do more harm than good. first one we saw, faith. We must believe this message of the gospel. And then in verse 19, Peter calls upon the people to repent. You see a a real emphasis both in Luke and Acts in the the preaching of Jesus and the preaching of the apostles upon repentance. Then you see there also in verse 19, and turn back. And that's the word that's often translated as convert or be converted, conversion. And so we have three crucial words. Faith or believe. Repent. Be converted what's the missing word the new birth regeneration and we must speak heartily and accurately and faithfully to all four words and we must bury those words in the soil of the gospel the soil of the person and the work of of the Lord Jesus Christ so this root of salvation namely the working of regeneration the working of the new birth shall produce the fruit of faith and repentance okay if you believe that regeneration of the new birth are the fruit of your faith and repentance your theology is messed up your methodology will likely follow in suit and you will do great harm that God's work of salvation begins in the heart of the individual with the work of the new birth so that those who are dead in trespasses and sin will repent and believe, and they will unfailingly repent and believe. These words are essentially and intrinsically linked all through the Bible. Now, certainly in the certainly in Acts, you will occasionally see, uh, like the Philippian jailer. He asked, what must I do to be saved? What does Paul say to him? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. But to be sure, there was an understanding that these words went together. They were distinct. But in salvation, you cannot separate them. They go together, okay? If you have one, you will have the others, okay? If there is repentance, faith will follow. If there is repentance and faith, you can be sure that the new birth has taken place. And in all of those three things, what happens is you are what? Converted. And those things are very, very important. And I think, talk about the terms. Explain what the terms mean. Speak of the gospel to your children so that they will fully embrace and fully understand what it means to be saved in, in all of its biblical sense. And what, what we have done in my lifetime in the church is short-circuited the whole thing and made a complete mess and a complete mockery of the gospel and evangelism by reducing it to some type of methodology. And that is dangerous. It's, it's well-meaning. I'll I'll wax illustrative for just one moment. If we left here today and I saw you on the side of the road and the hood of your car was raised, me being the well-meaning person that I am, I might stop and I would really desire that your car be fixed. But let me tell you something. You do not want me working on your car. And in fact, were I to get it running again and you were to make it to your mechanic, He might say, who did this and why did they do it? Because they have totally destroyed your car. What could have been fixed for $50 is now going to cost you $5,000. I did more harm than I did good because I didn't know what I was doing. And everyone ought to be competent in the gospel of Jesus Christ and understand these things and not go meddling around. Many of you remember, for years, I drove a 2002 Ford Taurus with about 150,000 miles on. Unfortunately... Uh, For American car owners, Fords wear out at about 90,000 miles. And so, at one point, I experienced a bad starter. I didn't have the money to fix it. And so my mechanic said, here's the way you get it running again. If it won't start, if you get that y'all know what I'm talking about. Here were my tools to get my car running. Not something I would suggest as a remedy for most car problems. Get a broom handle and a hammer and put the broom handle on the starter and hit it with a hammer, and you may get it to engage and the, turn the electrical energy into mechanical energy and make it start, okay? That's the extent of my ability to repair cars, okay? That's why you don't want me repairing cars, and that's why so many times people are, that are well-meaning that want people to be saved but make a mess of these concepts of the personal work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that is a part and parcel of the response. Get all of these things confused, and they wind up with people in an absolute spiritual mess. And that's why the church in America is in the mess that's in. not there. Let me say this. We've talked about miracles. Since I mentioned the work of the new birth, the work of regeneration, the ongoing miracle in our day, it reminded me of a gospel song that we sang as a kid, many of you. Remember it? It took a miracle. The chorus went like this. It took a miracle to put the stars in place. It took a miracle to hang the world in place. But when he saved my soul, cleansed and made me whole, it took a miracle of love and grace. When the gospel is proclaimed, the power of God is brought to bear. And the power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in our day and in our time. And so, we see Peter proclaiming this gospel. Well, let's look at this gospel appeal. Again, he's going to instruct them as to how to respond. He speaks to them about repentance, about conversion. And again, he gives them a little bit. He doesn't twist the knife after he's stuck it in them. There in verse 17. When he says, you acted in ignorance, that's not a, 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 just a blank, okay, you're okay, don't worry about it. It's not not really a moral indictment, like you're just stupid. But you lacked information and understanding. And I'm going to give you the remedy to your lack of information and your lack of understanding. That this Jesus there in uh, verse 18, the one that was predicted, promised, the one that was prophesied that he would suffer, he has come, he has fulfilled all that, now you must repent that God would so work look at verse 20 and uh, again I wish I had more time I've, I've, I've kinda gotten bogged down verse 20 that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord we're gonna see in a minute he's gonna use the second phrase to t- speak about the res- restoration of all things I'm going to assume here he's talking about uh, the experience of, uh, of the new birth of, of the work of the Holy Spirit uh, in the life of uh, the individual that, that when you repent and believe uh, the gospel, that you are indeed refreshed. This is power that is straight from uh, the Lord. And at that time, you will begin to await uh, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, who is now in heaven between the times. Between the time of His ascent and the time of His return. That is when we live. We live between the times. He has gone into heaven. He is Lord of Lords, He is King of Kings, He is ruling and reigning, and there is a time that it is appointed uh, for Him Uh, to return and when he returns all of these things that that have been alluded to this this power that's foreshadowed in in the healing and the raising from the dead this power that's going to make the lame leap that's going to make the wolf lie down with the lamb that's going to deal with the 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 uh, violent serpents all of these things i don't see that being reversed right now but one day the curse will be reversed that the power of the gospel that we proclaim right now, that is powerful and effective in your life, that power will, will produce its ultimate purpose at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ in the restoration of all things. And so Jesus is awaiting that day at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us when we pray, He's our great high priest going to the Father. And so he is interceding for us. And so Peter closes with the warning there in verse 22. Again, appealing. We can agree. Y'all think Moses was great. You think he was a prophet. You trust him. Well, Moses spoke about Jesus. He's quoting Deuteronomy 18, 15. There's a, Moses said there's going to be somebody, something like me that's going to come after me, and you better pay attention to it. You better pay attention to him. And what is Peter saying? The one Moses promised is Jesus. He is the servant. His message, his life, his work, vindicated, validated by the fact that God has raised him from the dead. I'm here to tell you this. Look at verse 26. God raised up his servant in the fulfillment of Scripture and fulfillment of his promise to his son himself. And I'm here to tell you about it, to bless you, to turn you from your wickedness. Of unbelief, And so we see the gospel on display and the power to heal. But we see more importantly, the power of the gospel being proclaimed, the call for repentance, which while we don't make the claim that we perform miracles, that we're healing lame or the blind or raising the dead, We're still proclaiming the gospel by which lives are changed, in which the dead are literally raised before our very eyes, and repentance and faith are provoked, and conversion occurs. That's the gospel that they preached. That is the gospel that we preach. That is the hope that we have. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your grace for the truth for the power of your gospel lord we 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 so often say well that's not really something that we should expect in our day but god should we never get to the place that we would fail to expect that your word going forth would not accomplish its purpose that we should live with the full confidence that your gospel has the power to save and that you are still using it to raise the dead. You are still using it to bring about this reality of salvation that people may experience the forgiveness of their sins. And while we grieve with many and we weep with many over the calamities of this life, Lord, we live with the hope that our sins are forgiven and that one day that power that is presently at work through the gospel of your son Jesus Christ, will fully reverse every effect of the curse of our sin. We thank you for that hope, and we lift this prayer in Jesus' name.